Give the Lord a great praise tonight. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Come on, he's worthy of our best praise. He's worthy of my best worship tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's so good to be home. Bethlehem, I'm thankful for this church. Thankful for each and every one of you. So many people that are dear to me are in this audience. And I want to say thank you for loving me all these years. And I give honor to Bishop and Sister Wilson and Pastor and Sister Vasquez and their family. I love and appreciate them so much. The impact that their lives and leadership and friendship have had on me. Thankful for that. Give honor to all the ministry, all the saints of God. Thankful that my dear friend, Pastor Henderson, drove me down here today. Preached for him this morning. He drove me down. He was my chauffeur. So I appreciate that. And then Brother Lee from his church came with us. Thankful to have him here with us. And uh, just excited about what God is doing. What a beautiful crowd today uh, gathered here tonight. Excited about what God is doing in Bethlehem. And looking forward to what he's going to do tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. We'll read two verses, verses 26 and 27. 2 Samuel 11, 26 and 27. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband and when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house. She became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Every recorded birth in the Bible, the baby is given a name, except for this one. The baby born out of David and Bathsheba's adulterous affair was never given a name. So I want to preach to you tonight on this thought, the nameless child. If you set your Bibles down, lift your hands and hearts to heaven. Let's talk to God in this place. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your majesty. We thank you for your glory. We thank you, God, for this opportunity to be in your house and in your presence. God, anoint me to preach your word the way you want it preached tonight. And God, anoint each and every person here tonight to hear your word receive your word and to respond to your word. And God, we give you praise for what you're going to do in this place. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you clap your hands one more time? And the Bible says not only to clap your hands, but shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Can you add a shout to your hand clap? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You can be seated. Backing up in that same chapter to find how we got to that point. Most of you know the story. Verse number one, it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But notice this, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. According to this scripture, David's men, David's army won some very important and strategic battles during this time. But David lost the most important battle because he wasn't fighting with his men. 
David's winning percentage when he fought was 100%. He was undefeated. The only battle that David ever lost was the one he didn't fight in. And that one mistake caused a snowball of sin and a family history littered with problems. But David, if you would have been with your men fighting instead of tearing still on a rooftop, you wouldn't have been there on that dreaded fateful, fateful night. A lot of mistakes and failures tonight could be avoided in our lives if we would just be where we're supposed to be instead of where we're not supposed to be. Fighting instead of being still. After that, David learns that Bathsheba has become pregnant and he calls for Uriah to come home. David's plan was for Uriah to think that he fathered the child from that affair. But instead, Uriah shows his character, his integrity, and his loyalty, things that King David obviously lacked at this point in time in his life by refusing to go home to his wife. So David panics and David devises a diabolical plan to cover his sin. He sends Uriah's death warrant by his own hand to Joab, the captain of the army. It reads, put Uriah in the heat of the battle and leave him alone to die. The evil, murderous, heinous plan of David works and David marries Uriah's pregnant widow. David is considered a hero by his public actions of hiding his secret sin. He thinks that he has gotten away with it until one day God sends the prophet Nathan with a story that will strum the heartstrings of David just like he used to strum the heartstrings of praise. A story about a poor man with one lamb and a rich man with an abundance of lambs. Instead of taking from his abundance, he takes the man's lonely lamb to eat. This story infuriates the former sheep-loving shepherd boy named David. And David prophetically speaks his own punishment by declaring that the man would repay the poor man with four lambs. Because beginning with this nameless child, David would ultimately lose four of his sons. The prophet looks at David and says, David, thou art the man. Before we look at David's response to being called out for sin, let's look at his predecessor, King Saul, and how he responded to being called out for sin. Because I believe there are lessons to be learned in both accounts tonight. 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. Samuel comes to Saul, and Saul says to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. Notice what he says. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I always get a little nervous around people that always say I. That's what Satan did. That's what got him kicked out of heaven. I will ascend. I will do this. I will do that. When you get an I attitude, that, that's why we got iPhones and iPads and we live in an I world. It's all about me. And David, King Saul said, look what I've done. I have done what God told me to do. And Samuel says, well, if you did what you were supposed to do, then why do I hear the oxen? And why do I hear the sheep? 
Then Saul changes his tune. He says, well, the people have brought them, these animals, home for a sacrifice. Notice what he does. First he says, look what I've done. And then when the prophet calls him out for his disobedience, he said, well, it's not my fault. It's their fault. He's playing a game that's as old as time. It's called the blame game. Because you know what happened? Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve. And then Adam blamed God for giving him Eve. That's a whole nother story for a whole nother night. But he began playing the blame game. Well, I, I didn't bring them back. The people did. They, and they, they want to do something good for, for God. They want to give him a sacrifice. And, and Samuel says, well, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as is obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken to the fat of rams. You know what I remember, Brother John Wilson, when I, when I youth pastored here, I remember him talking about this scripture, and he said there's something better than sacrifice. And that's not having to sin, not, not ha- needing the sacrifice. Not need- Young people, old people alike, there's something greater than being able to come to a se- an altar and say, God, forgive me for my sin, and that's not sinning in the first place. There's something greater than I love God's grace and I'm thankful for it. I love his mercy. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the blood. But if I can never get to the point where every Sunday I don't have to come in here and repent of what I've done on the weekend and I can just say, God, I'm here to worship you. I'm here to praise you. There's something better than sacrifice tonight. And he said, for rebellion is as the sin. The the literal translation is rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. I need you to understand tonight, when you begin rebelling against the Word of God, you begin rebelling against the man of God, you begin rebelling against the church, young people, you begin rebelling against your parents, you are opening a door to the spirit realm that you do not want to open. Rebellion will lead to witchcraft, and you'll be fighting battles. But instead, I want to do what God tells me to do. I want to live holy. I want to live righteous. I want to do what God wants me to do tonight. So Saul said, look what I've done. Then he said, no, look what they did. But now I want you to notice what David did. David wrote a psalm. It's a beautiful psalm. I've prayed it many times in my life, unfortunately. Psalm 51. David wrote a psalm after the prophet Nathan came and said, you are the man. David wrote this psalm. I want you to notice the difference in the spirit of David and the spirit of Saul. Because David could have taken Nathan's head off if he wanted to. He's the king. How dare you come to me and talk to me? You know what? Shame on us whenever pastor calls us out for our sin and we get an attitude with him. Shame on us parents whenever our pastor calls our kids out and we get an attitude. How dare you talk to me like that? How dare you talk about my kids like that? No, we need a man of God that'll look us in the eye and say, you're the man. You're the woman. You've made a mistake. You need to find an altar. I'm thankful for a man of God that'll call me out when I'm doing wrong. You ought to be thankful. 
thankful for a pastor that loves you enough, that don't just pat you on the back and tell you you're okay, but will tell you that you need heaven and you need to rejoice in that tonight. You need to rejoice as a pastor that loves you enough to tell you when you're doing wrong tonight. So David doesn't behead the prophet, but he writes instead a song, a song. And notice the attitude of David compared to Saul. Have mercy upon me. Oh God, I don't have time to read it all. I'm just going to read a few of them. According to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from the presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Do you notice the difference? Saul said it's everybody else's fault. And you know what? We are living in a victim mentality in this year of 2021. Everybody wants to blame everybody else. David, you could have blamed Prophet Nathan. You could have blamed Bathsheba. You could have blamed Uriah. But instead, he said, it's my fault that I'm in this mess. And we need to quit blaming our mom and daddy. Mama might have been an alcoholic and daddy might have been a drug addict. But you don't have to be tonight. Your parents may have been divorced, but you don't have to be divorced. You may have generational curses and problems, but you can break free tonight and say, I'm choosing not to be a victim, but I'm choosing to be victorious. I'm not going to blame anybody else. It's between me and God tonight. So David admits his sin in 2 Samuel 12. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. You're not going to die, David. But notice what he says in verse 14. How be it because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. See, it wasn't just about David making a mistake. It was all the people that David had defeated. All the people that David had fought against. Now they can say, well, David, you wasn't the man you were supposed to be. That's why you've got to be careful. It's not just about you tonight. It's about everyone else. It's about this church. They're, they're going to look at not just your mistake, but they're going to look at the church. They're going to look at the body of Christ. That's what, they're, that, that's what the prophet is saying here. It's not just about you, David, but that people can blaspheme the Lord because of this mistake. But notice what the punishment is. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed into his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. Notice God didn't say David's wife, Uriah's wife. And it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted, and he went in and laid upon the night, upon, all night upon the earth. And the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the earth, but he would not, neither did he eat bread with him. So prophet says, David... God's not going to kill you, but he is going to kill this baby. 
as part of your punishment. See, this nameless child was a product of an ungodly relationship. This nameless child was the icon of David's past and David's greatest mistake and his greatest failure. There is no name given in Scripture to this child, leaving the description wide open as a representation on any type of past. If he had been given a name, we'd be looking up the meaning in Greek and Hebrew. We'd be trying to get some angle on the definition and what it meant. But since his, 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 he was nameless, the nameless child just covers it all. And notice what David did. David fasted and prayed for this nameless child, something that God said would die. Now, any mother or father in this place tonight would pray and fast for a child that's laying on his deathbed. And please don't think me heartless. And, and, I, and I grieve with anyone that's ever lost a child. I don't want to ever have to go through that. So please, I'm not trying to be heartless tonight, but I want to, I want to, I want to use a horrible event and story to make a spiritual point tonight, if you will, for just a moment. David was fasting and praying over something that God said had to die. And I wonder how many of us tonight are praying and fasting for things that God said needed to die in our life. How many times do we try to hang on to old habits, addictions, and relationships, hoping and praying that God will bless something that he's already cursed and said must die in us? See, we aren't supposed to condone the flesh. We're supposed to crucify the flesh. We aren't supposed to keep the flesh. We're supposed to kill the flesh. We aren't supposed to excuse the flesh. We're supposed to execute the flesh. We're not supposed to disregard the flesh. We're supposed to destroy the flesh. We're not supposed to pardon our flesh. We're supposed to put away our flesh. We're not supposed to coddle our flesh. We're supposed to crucify our flesh. Stop trying to breathe life into something that God said needs to die in our lives tonight. David didn't name the baby the product of his greatest failure. And you know what I've come to tell somebody tonight? You don't need to name your past either. Don't put a name on your mistakes. Don't put a name on your failures. Don't put a name on your addictions. When you name something, you put ownership on it. You claim it. That's why we get baptized not in titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We get baptized in the name of Jesus because when we get baptized in his name, he puts his name on us and he claims us. So stop giving your past a name. Stop putting ownership on it. Stop naming it and claiming it. The nameless child has to die before you'll become who God wants you to become. You can't stay addicted to your past. You can't stay bound to your past. Freedom has had to be loosed in this place. You've got to be loosed from what God says must die because it will only hold you back. It will only keep you from becoming who God wants you to become. As a matter of fact, you don't even own your past anymore. Jesus purchased it on Calvary's cruel cross. You don't have a right to name something that don't belong to you. 2 Samuel 12 and 18. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. 
And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spake unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How then will we vex himself if we tell him that the child is dead? Verse 19 says, But when David saw his servants whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. Notice what David does next, verse 20. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself. And he changed his apparel and he came into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. And then he came to his own house and when he required, they set bread before him and he did eat. Not only were David's actions when confronted by the prophet an epic example of what we should do, so were his actions after the death of the nameless child. I call it the seven ups. Not the soda, not the drinking. But he did seven things. He arose from the earth. He washed. He anointed himself. He changed his apparel. He came into the house of the Lord. He worshiped. And then he went to his own house and he ate bread. He was working on his earthly relationship in proper order. He was getting things right with and connecting with God first then connecting with his family. And you and I tonight, we need to do the same thing. We need to let the nameless child, our past, our mistakes, the things that are haunting us and keeping us from becoming who God wants us to be, we need to let it die tonight. And then we need to follow those same seven ups. We need to get up. You need to get up out of the mess that you're in tonight. You need to get up out of the addiction you're in. You need to get up out of the heartache. You need to get up out of the pain. You need to get up out of the situation. You've been wallowing in the mud for long enough. Prodigal, you've been in the pig pen long enough. It's time to get up and get back to daddy's house. It's time to get out of the miry pit and get out of the clay and get your feet on a solid rock. It's time to get up tonight. And then you need to wash up. You need to be baptized in the name, the only name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And you need to wash away your sins and get washed in the blood of Jesus. Then you need to get oiled up. You need to get the Holy Ghost. You need to get filled with the Holy Ghost tonight. Well, I already have the Holy Ghost. I said you need to get filled with it. You need to walk out of here filled with the Holy Ghost, oiled up from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. You need to get anointed. The anointing is not just for pastor. It's not just for the singer. It's not just for the musician. The anointing is for you, and you need to get anointed tonight. You need to get the Holy Ghost and say, God, give me an anointing to walk out of here and be a world changer. Then you need to get dressed up. You need to change your clothes tonight. You need to take off those garments of heaviness and that garment of mourning, and you need to put on a garment of praise. You need to put on a robe of righteousness. Take off those filthy rags. Take off your past and say, I'm going to put on Jesus. I'm going to walk out of here a brand new creature. I'm going to walk out of here a brand new person in him tonight. And then he went up. You need to go to the house of the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and say it because Pastor probably wants me to. You need to be here every time the doors are open. 
You need to be here on Sunday morning. You need to be here on Sunday night. You need to be here on Wednesday night. You need to be here for revival. You need to be here for camp meeting. You need to be here for prayer meeting. You need to be here for youth. There's nothing in this world more important than the house of God in your life. You need to get up to the house of God tonight. And then he sent up worship. Is there any worshipers in the house? Is there any praisers in the house? It's time to praise God. It's time to worship. If you don't feel like it, it's still time to praise God. If you don't feel like it, it's still time to worship. I'm getting up out of the, the, the nameless child isn't going to hound me any longer. The nameless child isn't going to keep me bound any longer. I'm going to praise my way out of my chains. I'm going to worship my way out of my problems. And then he got filled up. You can stand. I'm almost done. You need to get filled up tonight with the Holy Ghost and his Holy Word. I want to get filled up tonight. I don't want to leave this place empty. I want to be filled with his spirit. And in closing, 2 Samuel 12 and 24. And David comforted Bathsheba. Notice this. The nameless child dies. And David comforts Bathsheba, his wife, and he went unto her and he lay with her. And she bare a son. And he called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. Solomon, if you study scripture, would go on to be the wisest and wealthiest and greatest king to ever rule and reign on planet earth. Solomon would write part of the Bible. Solomon would be the one that would construct the glorious temple of the, of the Lord. Solomon's genealogy would make way and bring about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But if the nameless child wouldn't have died, David wouldn't have comforted Bathsheba. And if David wouldn't have comforted Bathsheba, she wouldn't have had a son named Solomon. And if she wouldn't have had a son named Solomon, the future would have been different. So don't name your past tonight. Don't put ownership on it. Let it die and let it be buried tonight. Because there's a Solomon waiting to be born. There's greatness waiting to be birthed in you. There's a temple waiting to be built. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. There's a Messiah waiting to come. Jesus is wanting to step into your life. And the nameless child has to pass on in order for your future to be fulfilled. That's what needs to happen tonight. The comforter's here. Just as David comforted Bathsheba, the comforter's here to comfort somebody tonight. And when he steps into this room, he's going to give birth to some wisdom. He's going to give birth to some power. He's going to give birth to some greatness. He's going to give birth to the things that God has called you to do. But before that will ever happen, that nameless child has to die. So as every head is bowed, every eye is closed all across this house. I challenge somebody that's been holding on to that nameless child. You've been holding on to that past. You've been holding on to those mistakes and failures. And listen, it, it may not even be your mistakes and failures. It may be someone else's mistake and failures. 
It may be something that someone else has done to you that's kept you from becoming who God wants you to become. You've been gripped with it. You've been gripped with that fear and that anxiety and that depression and that hurt because of what someone else has done to you. Or maybe it's your own mistake, your own failures, and the enemy reminds you daily. And you've been fasting and praying, saying, God changed the situation, and God is saying, it's got to die. It's got to die tonight. You can't take that nameless child home tonight. You can't take that addiction with you tonight. You can't take your past with you. It's got to stay in this altar tonight so that you can let a Solomon be born in you tonight. So I challenge somebody, as every head's bowed, every eye's closed, there's already some in the altar. But I challenge you right now to step out. Say, God, I'm ready for deliverance. God, I'm ready to break free tonight. God, I'm ready for healing that only comes from you tonight. God, I'm ready for these chains to be loosed off of me tonight. God, I don't want to walk out of this place the same way I walked in. Somebody in this place tonight, you need to get up. You need to get up from where you're at. You need to get up from where you're doing. You need to wash up. You need to be baptized in his name. You need to get oil. You need to get filled with the Holy Ghost and anointing. You need to get dressed up. You need to change your, your gar garments of filthiness and change it for a robe of righteousness. You need to go up to the house of God. You need to send up your praise and worship. And you need to get filled with the Holy Ghost and his word tonight. Say, God, I want to be changed. I don't want to go home the same man I was. I don't want to go home the same woman I was. I want to walk out of here free tonight. When I go to school tomorrow, when I go to work tomorrow, I want people to notice a change in me. Come on, let's pray right now. God's moving in someone's life. Come on, if you've got that nameless child holding on to you, it's time to let it go tonight. It's time to leave it at an altar tonight. It's time to leave it. It's time to find your deliverance. It's time to find your healing. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God, I'm asking you right now. Lord, to be a comforter in this place. Wrap your loving arms around somebody that's hurting right now. Somebody that's struggling. Somebody that's battling in their mind. And loose the chains of addiction. Loose the chains of heartache. Loose the chains, God. Deliver your people in this house. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody ought to praise him right now. Somebody ought to worship him right now. You ought to thank him that you're not who you used to be.
Can you give Brother Moppin and the Lord a good hand?